We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. Uh, I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we have a very fun uh, Lakers Summer League team, at least the guys at the top, that we are definitely going to discuss on Tuesday when the next pod comes out. But if we don't talk general NBA today, Mike is going to go on another Ringer podcast and we can't have that. So today (laughs) we are talking about all the movement around the NBA. And Mike, let's start with you. A lot of the top teams and the teams considered amongst the top teams made big moves to their roster and the Lakers were not one of them. We were the team like, ah, oh, let's keep our core and keep growing. And it was kind of bizarro uh, world free agency. So where do you want to start in terms of the old faces and new places? Let's just rip the bandaid off because in the text thread, we seem to have a disagreement, at least <laughs> Pete and I. Um, you and I and disagree on something on basketball? No. <laughs> that's the thing is that we, we really... <laughs> when we disagree, it's more like subtleties. It's not For like sure. we have this, these massive. Now there, there's one exception. Um, of there there like, is. We, we don't have to talk we're, about we're, it anymore, though. <laughs> we don't we really don't. Stuff. Those That's days are over. Pop. We did our time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just try to be honest. Uh, and generally, I get. I don't like disagreeing with you because um, I respect your basketball takes, and so I'm kind of like, wait, what? Hmm. You know, is there an angle? And maybe there's part of that for you too. You're like, wait a second. You know, why? And in this case, we're talking about the Phoenix Suns, uh, and I. I don't know. This is where, you know, I think Darius will help too. I don't know the degree to which we actually disagree. Is it like if we had to pin each other down on win total, would it end up being like within three games, you know? Um, and and then, okay, what are we really disagreeing about or not? Um, but I just, the more that I think about it and the more that I think about how their roster is composed and what the motivations are and sort of Frank Vogel and the guys that I know mm-hmm. he's bringing over on his staff and all things considered, uh, regular season wins wise, which was like last year, right? I thought Denver was going to have the most regular season wins, but then I was not convinced um, that they could make the the kind of playoff run with with defense and with Jokic. But regular season wise, I, I do think that Phoenix um, would be my top team, um, and, I, and I just for next season. I don't know that they would beat Denver in a series. We'll certainly talk about the Lakers, but that's the place to start. Um, I can get into why, but I wanted to put that on the table for starters. So 
in terms of what I care about, the regular season win totals are much lower than like, can this team win healthy, right? Win the championship. And I think there are a few teams that are in the mix. That's part of what's exciting about this upcoming season. And what's different about where we're at, as opposed to this time last year, is that I think having that belief in the first place that, yeah, we could totally win a championship this year is it's just in a way different place for us. That said, in terms of the regular season totals, I suspect we're closer on that than we are on the championship contention point. The one thing, well, but even then, like, KD, for example, this is one thing about speaking of the ringer that drives me crazy about how Bill Simmons will f- will frame Anthony Davis versus Kevin Durant, right? It's the whole flirting versus harassment meme in terms of their like uh, availability. And AD has been more available than Kevin Durant over the last several years, right? And so like the likelihood of Kevin Durant going down is fairly high. And my main argument against them, Mike, uh, in uh, whether it's regular season win total or championship aspirations is that they don't pay a single dollar to anybody who plays defense for a living. Like that's the reason why they're in the NBA above the vet minimum, right? So every guy that gets more than a vet minimum contract, and I really liked their vet min signings. Don't get me wrong on that. I, they, they got a lot of guys uh, that I think can really uh, provide for them. That said, they don't pay a single dollar above the vet minimum to anybody who plays defense. And I think that, you know, regardless of who your coach is or or whatever, I can't think of another team in NBA history that won a chip without doing that. And now, do they have the opportunity to maybe make a trade at the trade deadline? Of course. That's true of a few different teams, right? But that's something that I think you got to do. You got to have a guy who plays defense for a living on your roster if you want to win a championship. All right. So here, Darius, what I'll do, I'll, I'll kind of hit my flip side and then you can, you can swoop in with your Swiss flag. Um, so the, the defense point to start, you know, as as you start the argument, I'm like, well, Josh Okoge, and it was, oh wait, that minimum, okay, so I, I I get it there. I do think that Durant um, plays decent defense, um, you know, particularly for a, an offensive star of that caliber. I think that Booker has grown a shitload in terms. Yeah, well, of, he's he's become a very good defender. Yeah, he was really good defender in the playoffs last year. Um, Beal has never been much of a defender, but I think he's like it's now on him. When you get traded like that and you're the guy and he's he's going to come in like full guns blazing. Uh, and so I think that mm-hmm. sometimes when like if you're not known as a defensive player, what you need to have is enough of a, of a team context. And this is where I mentioned Frank Vogel and offense should be easy enough for them in terms of getting good shots and spacing and all the talent that they have mm-hmm. that they there should be more left in the legs, both because they know that can help them win games. Um, and just because literally there's more left in the legs. It's like we talk about with LeBron and AD. Well, how much of their load is on offense? You're also expecting them to get through the whole 82. And, and we'll we'll talk about the difference between regular season and playoffs as well. So I think that they've got enough talent that way. Plus Aiton, uh, I expect Aiton to have a better year. Um, just pure. It's also now on him. There's no Monty Williams to be blamed. Um, and if Or if they, they could trade him, by the way, for a couple of pieces like that. But mm-hmm. if he's there... I do think that Frank is going to get whatever uh, defense is left and the length that he provides at that spot. Um, you know, with Eubanks, who, who I like, okay. Uh, I think he's pretty good as a backup mm-hmm. big and coming in. And you mentioned some of the vet mims like, you know, Watanabe and uh, like uh, Eric Gordon coming in who can mm-hmm. defend some. So I, I just think that they're, they're really solid defensively. And I look at them as a better defense than I looked at Denver um, last year. And then, you know, Jokic sort of just was 
the energy and effort that Jokic played with on that end as well so far exceeded what I had seen in the past from Denver. Um, and then, you know, Aaron Gordon and some of the other length. So, yeah, I, I'm, I get where you're coming from, but I just think that they've got well, well more than enough talent and will get a, enough requisite energy defensively to probably be fine. And I wouldn't pick them to win the most regular season games if I didn't think they could actually win the title. Cause I think those things usually go hand in hand, mm. especially with what it does with the seeding and kind of the setup that they get like Denver did relative to the Lakers, you know, having to do what they did from the seventh seed. Yeah. So I don't have definitive opinions about what I think Phoenix will like will be as an overall team, but I do have some things that I believe about them. I think offensively they are going to be very difficult to stop. There's going to be no version of them D where it's like, Oh, Phoenix just can't get a good shot. Like there's yeah, no defense no, they, you can play, no personnel that you can have. Yeah. They're going to score so well. The X factor to me is Aiton. Mike, you sounded pretty optimistic about him. And I've traditionally been a little bit higher on Aiton than maybe consensus. I, I, I think a guy with his physical tools and for all the like the things he doesn't do or didn't do or didn't do as well last season or the growth he has shown in some areas, but not in others and what he wants. And he wants the ball and shooting 15 foot like all of that stuff is fine. But it's like I've seen that dude give a lot of big guys problems defensively and he's been good, good on the glass. He he's run hard mostly like he does a lot of things that you want from a big guy. Um, that said, whether you you can call it pouting or whatever, he, he wasn't to that level this past season as he was to two previous seasons. And I think expecting that to revert back to the previous season's levels, I'm not sure. And I'm not going to necessarily give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm just saying I'm not sure. Right. And so if he is better, I think that their ceiling and floor both go up like exponentially because he's the difference maker to me. He's certainly the X factor. And if you listen to uh, to Vogel's introductory press conference, he talked a lot about his system and how it's built around that position yes. and DeAndre Ayton and how he's really looking forward to working with him. If Ayton's the X factor, now I'm going to get into like where some of my skepticism lies. The Suns swapped out Chris Paul for Bradley Beal. Now, from a pure talent play, that's a win mm -hmm. for Phoenix. They got a younger offensively geared player who can score. He can swap out for Booker at times. He can do a lot of different stuff. And Beal, though he makes a boatload of money, mm -hmm. is probably underrated at this point for how yes. talented he is. And it, I, that's why I stopped myself too on the, well, there's a good chance KD gets hurt point because you still got two guys that can carry the offense at that point and you should still be okay to, to a degree. But here's my concern, Mike. And here I want to kick this idea to you is what the Suns have done in building the roster the way that they have is they have basically removed every connecting player that I think you need in order to be a cohesive basketball team that is actually greater than the sum of your parts, right? And so the Suns have a great number of quality parts. And if those parts only equal what they are, they're going to be a very good basketball team, an excellent basketball team. But typically, the championship teams need to be even better 
than the sum of their parts. And the players who facilitate that are the connecting players. They are the role players who defend, rebound, do all the dirty work, but also offensively are the passers. They're the guys who slot into the gaps, the guys who make the timely cuts, who set the timely screens. And the Alex Caruso's of the world, the Austin Reeves type players, even a player like KCP or Danny Green, or you can go on and on and on throughout the history of the league. And Every championship team has these guys. I can keep naming former Lakers too, the Rick Foxes, the Robert Ories, Derek Fisher, those sort of guys that are there to help prop up the stars because superstars build up role like role players and elevate them, but role players can elevate superstars as well. And they traded away their point guard. The only point guard left is campaign basically. And Payne is more of a go get my own guy. And they've got a lot of go get my own guys. And I'm worried about that connectivity that the best teams have. Yeah, I think this is overcomable, but to the point that they don't pay anybody to play defense for a living, they also don't have anybody whose primary skill or thing they're looking for is to pass the ball. Now, Booker's Booker, when he runs point, he's been great at it, and he can be yes. like, Durant I'm not too. saying this can't work. It's just something they're going to have to figure that out, Mike, how to that connecting idea, I think, is a really good point. Well, I do think it's going to be point book, uh, and he, he is the key to this. Like, I, I, yes, Kevin Durant historically will be the best player. Um, that goes down out of those three. But Booker right now, I think, is the best player in terms of like Agreed. what you can get for an 82. And he's good. Like he like he might be all NBA first team, you know, probably all NBA mm-hmm. second team at worst. And and I just think that what you guys are saying now, I want to be clear. Like, I don't think these guys are the Heatles coming together. I don't think it's LeBron, Bosch, and Wade, but there is a little bit of the yeah, but like, well, which one's really the pure point guard? And I don't know, like, who are the vets that are going to come in around those three? And is Bosch really going to be able to play center? Like, it's when the talent is as high with those three as it is, a lot of that stuff, I think, just gets figured out. And sometimes it takes some time. But they've got with like with Aiton as the fourth player in terms of talent. That's a lot. That's a that's a ton of talent for the fourth who has to be on best behavior with a coach that is specifically going to try to get him going. I've seen Frank work with bigs in person uh, and he's good at it. Uh, And so that's that's the one thing. And then I I didn't mention, you know, Kata Bates, Diop. We don't have to spend a ton of time. but I I like him a lot. Yeah. You know, like he's six, eight. He can shoot some threes. Like so I just think that all of the stuff with those are all valid concerns that I think the talent and kind of the. Like the way that they're building this uh, there, a lot of it has to do with the way that money is going to be spent in the future for teams. And they just were like, instead of we're going to be handicapped anyway, let's just go way over the top, get the most talent that we can get. Mm -hmm. uh, And and then like eventually figure out all the salary stuff as it gets continually prohibitive moving forward. And so I don't know that this is sustainable, but for next year, um, I just see all those things coming together enough that like I like the, the roster composition better than I like. Uh, the what what I see is no other team got like a ton better um, in the West this year. Like and we're going to go out, we're going to go through and talk about it. And like one team to me was I, I check with a buddy who does uh, some stuff with injuries and Sacramento had the literal healthiest roster like in recent NBA history last year. And wow. like, I knew it was ridiculous, but it was the most it was the healthiest, like fewest games missed since the 10 or the 11, 12 Lakers when like four starters played 82 games, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was just insane. But um, so that's the team that I got. That's the team I got going down. Right. But like for right now, um, with where things are at, that's that's my kind of Phoenix take. 
like you said at the beginning of this, Mike, like our disagreements are more gradual than anything. I think they're close. I think I think they're a DeAndre Ayton move away and trading him for a couple of guys that play defense and are those more role player types. And But it is going to hinge on Ayton. And the reason I have the skepticism for it is my understanding of his position. And now, mind you, if you're a Phoenix fan listening to this, you're you have way more context. So maybe I'm wrong in some of the details, but is that he wanted more of a role, right? He wanted to be more of a featured piece. And that is not uncommon. We saw Kobe like this with Shaq, like, great, I'm the supporting guy to, to Shaq. I can also average 30 a game, right? Moses' example was Dwight in 12, 13. There you go. Disaster in a, in a tire fire. And I don't, I don't see this as that, so especially because of the relationship or lack thereof that was there with the previous coach. Sure. And so, so I had heard it's a, a little bit more of that than just like, no, I don't want to screen roll and like dive to the rim and, and play defense, you know, for sure. He's going to have to do that. And, and I just, but you're right. If that, even if that's not a hinge point to me, they still have, like if Eubank starts, sure. you know, some of these other role players, I still think that it's enough talent, but um, yeah, alas, I've said enough words about Phoenix. Their, their floor is so high offensively that like, I totally get where you're coming from and why you're bullish on them. I just think that, in Aiton's circumstance, if that's his perspective, like I wanted to have more of a role, he actually got knocked down in the picking order in terms of guys who get touches, who get shot, get shots. That's the one thing going from CP3 to Bradley Beal, which is an obvious upgrade. It's the one element of it where CP3 is going to look to set other guys up just as a natural function of how he plays. And whereas now DeAndre Ayton's the fourth guy who is more than ever they need from him to be the physical rebounding rim protector dirty work type of big that he has the physical capability of being but everything I know about what he wants his situation actually got worse from a place where he already had a complaint about it so I'm yeah. I'm super curious D like where does that go I'll be super interested to see what the leadership looks like from those players and how accommodating they are towards that idea of we need Aiton to be this guy mm -hmm. because and I think Frank will be a good bridge to that but the players will need to cross that bridge yeah themselves on like like on the court and so if Beal and Booker and Durant are just calling Aiton up to the top of the floor to run 50 pick and rolls a half and then not looking for him on dump offs or anything like that. And it's just like, go get yours on the offensive glass, big fella. Like I'm shooting this pull <laughs> yeah. up. That's a different deal. And I got frustrated enough about that with Anthony Davis last season. Now, Aiton is not Anthony Davis, but he, I would imagine he envisions himself as on the path to becoming a player like Anthony mm -hmm. Davis. And you don't do that by being the player that models his game after Clint Capella. The players, I think, Mike, are going to have to bridge that a little bit. But too much on Phoenix. We haven't changed our <laughs> pod name yeah, to, you know. Gonna say, right. I was going to say, let's take a break. And then you guys hit me with the team that you want to talk about. Because we yeah, have yeah, yeah. this. I'm, I'm curious uh, who's, who's on your mind. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. It's so interesting because we haven't talked about any of this at all. I know we'll probably get to rapid fire stuff a little bit later, but the defending champion Denver Nuggets, I'm just interested in hearing just a few thoughts from each of you about like what they've lost. I think we're going to get to more about like what teams have gained or what they brought back or how they tried to modify their roster in order to get better to catch up to a team like Denver. But Denver... I think, fell back a little bit. Now, they did not lose their best players. And so, like, what are we really talking about? Darvin Ham was on um, Chris Haynes and Mark Stein's podcast recently. Um, it, they did a live show from Las Vegas, and Darvin was like, oh, like, no disrespect to Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, but did they lose Jokic? <laughs> yeah. Did they lose Jamal Murray? No? They didn't lose those guys? Well, then, no big deal? basically, but I'm of the mind that it can be a big deal when you lose Brown, especially, but yeah. even Green, who yeah. I thought was critical to their postseason big man rotation, where they decided to go small and they didn't play a backup big at all. And so I see this more as a playoff question for them than a regular season question, because yeah. I think they will cobble enough stuff together during the regular season. But I just wanted to kick the idea of the Nuggets to, to you guys, because losing players from a championship roster, that's not usually the formula that you right. want if you're trying to win it again the next season. Yeah, this is something Mike always says about the importance of the infusion of talent after you've won a title and in, in getting to the next one. And so their infusion of talent is they have a program there that I really respect that I actually think that in some ways it's similar to what we're trying to build here all the way up from South Bay up. And so the idea is that a guy like Christian Brown, who got some minutes in the postseason, less so against us, but at, at spots in the postseason and played well, that he elevates his role a little bit. Uh, Zeke Naji is probably going to get some of Jeff Green's minutes. Uh, I really like Peyton Watson, who's going to be a guy that probably gets some of Brown's minutes. And I agree with you, D, that the whether or not they will be good enough at it is not going to be determined in the regular season. They're totally good enough to be 
fine throughout the course of the regular season. I also agree with Darwin, where it's like the whole universe revolves around Jokic and and Murray to a slightly lesser extent. And then you've got KCP and Michael Porter Jr. is very good third and fourth type of type of options around that with Aaron and Gordon. Gordon. And Gordon, right? right? Like yeah. they're they've got a really good team and a really good core. Uh but Mike, they were a seven man rotation come the playoffs. And so it's one of those things where they need both of those spots to hit whomever Bruce Brown replaces or it replaces Bruce Brown, whomever replaces Jeff Green. They need both of those guys to be the real deal come playoff time or else that's when they're going to run into some problems. Denver is to me very difficult to analyze for this upcoming season because Jokic, any hurdle that needed to be cleared uh, by him, he just left right past like one of the stallions that apparently he's breeding um, in Serbia, just straight over the fence. and. Like without even a, a blip of hesitancy, like he really brought it every game, um, all essentially, what was it, 44 minutes or something that he played um, in a lot of the series. And I think that you, you brought up the point I always like to talk about with that. You have to add something to a championship team to repeat. And that's, I think, been true. The, the trick for me is what is Jokic going to do now that he has uh, kind of gotten over the mountain? Is he going to be a guy that is not satisfied at all? Like, uh, you know, a Kobe mentality. We're like, okay, I got one. And now I need a hundred. Like, this is the only thing that the only feel that I can have. Or is he going to say like, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I, I love basketball, but it's as, as he kind of did after he even actually won the title this year, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I want to prove that I could do it, but I don't have to win again. Like, why are you guys judging me on that? You know? So I don't know what that is. And I don't know that anybody does about Jokic. It's probably somewhere in between. Um, but I do think that I, I would expect that he will at least drop off some in the regular season. And then does that impact the way that the whole team is and mm. the whole team plays and the team mentality and sort of the team drive? Or is it, and this is regardless of who his teammates are, because he is such a damn problem um, to stop offensively and because defensively he was able to hold up better than I think we expected just by being huge and rebounding and, um, and you know, his hands and everything. That's the... Is that enough still, you know, with Murray healthy, potentially with Porter Jr. And those are injury risks, of course, next year. Is that enough to just like still beat uh, Phoenix, the Lakers, like some of these teams in a playoff series again? Um, I a lot of this to me just depends on Jokic, but that's also a lot <laughs> on one guy. And that's that's why I'm, I'm hedging some with what you know Phoenix can disperse that a little bit. And why we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about the Lakers at some point, but like they with LeBron and AD and then Austin stepping up in the continuity and could they add another piece like there, they could be right there too. So um, I'm, I'm a little torn on Denver, but my instinct is that it's natural for them to take a step at least slightly back um, and, and then see what Jokic and potentially a deal at the deadline, you know, can, uh, can do from a playoff perspective. Repeating is so hard, and it just adds an extra degree of difficulty to the upcoming season. It's part of the reason why I was bullish on us against uh, Golden State. They had that that monkey on their back, right? And so uh, I want to pivot, though, to a couple of teams that – or a couple of moves that made me kind of turn my head to the side like, oh, really? How, how's that going to work? And let's start, stay in the West and start with Golden State. CP3 to Golden State, that's a, a wild move just in, in terms of the, we're going to look back on that 20 years from now and be like, can you believe Steph and yeah. CP3 played, play? like, I'm curious as hell, 
not just because of the kind of historic talents and all that, but like CP3's style of play is so different. And the one of the big tensions between Kerr and the fan base at different points has been like, let's run more pick and roll and be more of a conventional offense. And Kerr's like, no, damn it, we're going to run our system and run guys around screens and all that. I'm always fighting with our buddy Aaron Larsoul about this. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm like, Kerr's amazing. Like, what what's wrong with you? Um, but then also you watch me every day. I watch right. him like 90% of their games. Like, what what is it? Are you actually mad about this? Like, what? Oh, they are. Uh, this is actually and, a thing amongst Warriors fans. Yes. Maybe maybe we should get Darius's wife on here um, to to just, you know, she's, she's got the pulse of the nation. She does. <laughs> see see what her uh, pick and roll versus flow offense yeah. thoughts are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, like... Chris Paul, the ultimate pick and roll point guard, right? Yeah. In the flow system of the Golden State Warriors. And they're also very small, right? Like uh, on, on top of everything. Um, curious your thoughts, CP3 the Warriors. Yeah, his first media availability where um, the implication was that he would come off the bench and he, in a very Chris Paul way, was just like, oh, are you the coach now? <laughs> right? Because those are conversations that haven't been been had yet. So classic CP. There's a competitiveness in him that is unrelenting. Um, it's one of the things that intrigued me about that potential trade that got nixed by uh, former Commissioner Stern and what it would have looked like potentially with Chris Paul and Kobe Bryant. Um, same things I thought about like a potential Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett uh, duo, right? Like you get that much sort of like ID GAF. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and they're just going to go at it um, together, hopefully. Right. I don't know, man. Paul is an adaptable player. He's given up the ball a ton in his career. I think more than he's been given cred credit for, but he is not. And he sets good screens. He does a lot of the little dirty work stuff. The connecting stuff. Yeah. And also yep. dirty that stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> dirty, dirty work in more ways than one. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and so. I think he'll fit right in in terms of being able to set on ball screens, set off ball screens, um, and make all of the reads. Will he? Will he start? Will he come off the bench? Will he have to like captain bench units that are full of like young players that might frustrate him more than playing with like than playing with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green? Right? Like, how much does Chris Paul have left? left in the tank one of the stuff like one of the main points that i think derailed the suns um in in the playoffs or lowered their ceiling um to a level that i think was not anticipated when the season started coming off of the previous year was paul not being the offensive force that he had been in in previous years and while he is going to compete defensively there's only so much you can do as a guy who's listed at six feet but is not six feet and how he's going to to hold up and so pete if he starts uh -huh. like he's you're removing a big like you he's not going to start for Draymond he's not going to start for Andrew Wiggins he's not going to start for Clay Thompson and so odds are it's like you're running out the small lineup Right mm -hmm. with Draymond at center, and that's not a lot of size at all. And we saw how the Lakers basically were able to squash those units just by going big and being more athletic and getting after the backboards. And, and so I, I'm interested to see what happens. He's such a smart player that I can never put it past him to just be like, I can do anything. But it's like old dog, new tricks, and he's an quite older 
dog at this point. I think he's going to be 39 this upcoming season. And uh, small guards, there's so many things that are like brush up against this idea of like, he's not going to succeed, but he's Chris Paul. So I don't know what to say about it. I'm going to bite fully on the way that I think Pete set this question up with his skepticism. And I don't like it. I don't think it's going to work. And I think that it essentially is, is, you know, I'm not saying it like it, uh, that move alone ends Golden State's championship window, but I, I do kind of feel like that. So Jordan Poole, the year before when they won the title, um, averaged 17 points a game in the playoffs uh, on 50% from the field, almost 40% from three. Um, plus, now his assisted turnover was four to 2.5. Not great, but like last year now, 10 points on 34% from the field, 25% from three. Like, obviously, all the stuff with Draymond, the way that he was targeted defensively, the the chemistry, his contract, like, they, I get that they had to do something about that. But because it's now the way that that contract was perceived, and I think rightly so, I, I don't, he'll be a little better in Washington next year, but I don't expect some massive career renaissance necessarily, maybe a small one. Um, 39-year-old Chris Paul coming in with just his, the the way that he's going to struggle to move physically and not have LeBron's frame at LeBron's age to be able to to still get so many things done on a basketball court with that size. Incredible. Uh, we've talked about so many times, like LeBron being able to transition more to almost like being a big, but then still having moments. Like, I don't, I just didn't see any of that for Chris last year in the postseason. And he's still, he's a, he's a hesitant um, pull up, like spot up shooter on the weak side. I, he not only does he want to have the ball, but he sort of like needs to, to be effective in the golden state. It's all, it's all motion and move the pat. Like I think Steve Kerr can find some way of figuring out something for it, but I don't think it's going to be good enough. And especially against all these big teams in the West. We already talked about Denver, um, what Phoenix is going to have the Lakers, like think about Memphis against them and all those athletes running around. I just, I don't see golden state uh, as being a reasonable contender. Um, and that's not even talking yet about some of the other weaknesses uh, that emerged, I think, for them. And as I say this, it's it's hard to say it because I have so much respect for for uh, just the the clay and Steph and Draymond. Steph's name, of course, should have come first and how great that team is and how I just think that it's past it's uh, it's time. And they haven't like adding Chris Paul at this age is not the way to transition it uh, and get some more out of the vet. So I uh, clearly I'm, I'm pretty down um, on Golden State, the offseason and, and what that's going to mean for them in the West next year. You you hit most of the points that I wanted to hit. The one thing I'd add to it is he kind of counterintuitively slows them down just with the way that he plays. And he's 39. Like, I, I just want to take a moment to appreciate the fact that he's going to be 39 and he's like 5'10 in the NBA. That is unbelievable and really speaks to the caliber player that he is. But the one thing that I would say is that remember a few years back when KD left for Brooklyn and they ended up getting D'Lo out of it and then they flipped D'Lo for Wiggins. I think yep. that's probably the best thing that Golden State gets out of this deal is that I think it's very possible that an expiring Chris Paul contract gets flipped with picks or a young player type of thing. And then, then they 
get the guy or guys that is more conducive to what they do because the one thing about us and it's easy to look at the teams that you beat in the playoffs as being behind you in the rear view mirror like oh we already beat Memphis we already beat Golden State we don't have to worry about them anymore but the way that Golden State often beats teams is by being too fast for you and there were a couple of times in that series where I was white knuckle in my chair right like we're, the, oh, we're real close to them being too fast for us and one of the reasons that they weren't is because of Dennis Schroeder and Lonnie Walker. Those are speed guards, and those are guys that add to your team's speed in ways that I think we got slower as a team over the course of this offseason that I don't necessarily think is fatal, but I think the Warriors can really test that, and that it might be fatal against the Warriors. If it's Chris Paul, I'm less worried about that, but if he gets flipped for better athletes, guys that kind of fit that a little bit more, I think the Warriors are more dangerous to us this year than they are last year if that happens. Yeah, I think a big picture idea for the Warriors, and and it's funny that you brought up the potential of a Chris Paul trade, and I'm going to get back to that idea in a second, but they lost Dante DiVincenzo, who went to the Knicks. Um, he was an integral player for them and a key rotation spot for, for them, and the Warriors are going to be, they're going to need internal growth from Moses Moody and from Jonathan Kaminga. And if those guys are ready to step up and play real roles, particularly in the playoffs, those are the types of like younger guys with younger legs, particularly Kaminga as a real athlete that can change the dynamic through transition and getting on the offensive glass and just being a guy who is bouncing all over the court and and just using physicality and force and speed. Um, interesting thing about Chris Paul is that most of his contract or all of his contract was guaranteed for this season, but one of the reasons why he was traded in the first place was because he had a partial guarantee. Well, Chris Paul is not an expiring contract this year, Pete. Technically, his contract goes one year after this season, mm-hmm. but that contract year is fully non-guaranteed. And that's a huge so, asset around the league when teams want to have some financial flexibility. That's right. And so the question I was going to put to you guys, yes or no? Does Chris Paul finish the season as a member of the Warriors? No pontificating no. here. I'm just asking a yes or no question. Uh, I, this is we're, I'll just say this and then defer to Pete. Like when you when you go in having to make a move, like the Lakers roster last year, like it's a different conversation to me. Like that the fact that we're having that conversation kind of answers our question. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, yes, if any team trades out a player that isn't going to play as well for a player that's going to be better, you know. Uh, then, then that's going to help them. But I, I just think as constructed and even acknowledging that he's going to be more likely to be moved potentially than somewhere else. But um, I, I thought this would be the stage of his career. Like Chris Paul comes to a place, teaches guys some things. Like I thought he, I think he should get more credit for Phoenix than Monty Williams in some ways. Um, but mm-hmm. then Chris Paul also wears out his welcome pretty quickly for reasons that we mentioned beforehand. And I don't know that I just don't I just don't see how he gets in there. So maybe I'll I'll agree with Pete. It sounded like he said no there. Um, But that to me still tells us what we need to know about the Warriors, at least for now. What do you think, Dick? I think he gets traded. I think the Warriors have no allegiance to Chris Paul and they can make niceties in the media right now and they can play up a Steph, Chris Paul, North Carolina reunion, like mentor, mentee sort of idea. And maybe it works. They can get a look at it right during the regular season, the first part. Lord knows everyone makes the playoffs if you want to. So no harm in that. Yeah. My guess is that they're trying to get a player who can help propel them this season. And if I had to bet my bones on it, they would be looking to trade big for small and get someone who can help on the front court a little bit for them. 
since I know we're, we're going to start heading up to the time here, can can we do a couple rapid fire? Yes. Like like Pete, give me like a rapid fire West take, like some other team oh. here we talked about. I want to talk know. about Boston. Is that a West yes. take? Oh, I knew okay. it. That was. Go ahead. One person, now, mind you, you know, I have my feelings about Boston, and that can cloud my vision. Oh. I, I know this is this is this is breaking I'm news, shocked. but but like I felt like I was the one person that was like, "What the hell are they doing?" So full disclosure. Porzingis is one of my least favorite players in the league, and this precedes him joining the Celtics. So this is either going to be great or absolutely awful for me, because if they do something significant with Porzingis on the team, like... I'll tell you one other person in the NBA who shares your opinion that I cannot say um, on the podcast, but you will enjoy this uh, when I when I text you who this person is. Oh, that, that it was... That they it feels like that about Porzingis. Like whenever they whenever this person oh. watches Porzingis... Um, just like it just like he can't tolerate the yeah you, you, like you know how Russ makes people like people like just makes your brain go haywire a little bit like that's kind of how I feel about him remember when we traded for Beasley and I was like and when do I ever have like I see the good in almost everyone right and so whenever we yeah when we traded for Beasley I was like this ain't this ain't the dude that anyway that's how I feel about Porzingis so him going to the Celtics right I'm like if I'm right about this that's great I so whatever they, however it ends up looking, he had a very good year with Boston in turn, or with uh, Washington in terms of scoring. He's you know quality rim protector, but how Boston plays now is going to be completely different than it was in the past. Uh, and, and part of that is because they were such a good switching team in the year that they went to the finals. They were really good at you'd have a physical, oppressive athlete, you know. In that spot. Now, they're all geeked about Jordan Walsh, who was the one guy that I wanted in the second round. They always freaking draft the guys that I like. Um, And so they're excited that maybe he can step in and be that replacement for a Smart, that replacement for a Williams, right? But I see them acquire a drop big that if he gets stretched out in the playoffs, like if Miami trades for Dame, you know the things he's going to do to Porzingis on the perimeter? Now, Dame comes with other problems, but like the idea of Porzingis dancing around like a giraffe on the perimeter, right, uh, trying to defend a guard, they won't be able to switch anymore. And it's at a position where I thought they were already good. Now, Horford's a little long in the tooth now, but they got, you know, Robert Williams III and Horford, and I think they're all single position defenders at this point at the five spot. And so... They just went a completely different direction without trading one of their stars, right? In a way that everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's a good trade. Porzingis is a near all-star and all that. He's going to put up points. And yes, he's going to help their offense with spacing Mike and all of that. But I was kind of jaw on the floor. Like, Smart is a heart and soul type of guy for that team. And so they're just a different squad than they were before. Yeah, so the initial move, I – well, first of all, I agree with most of what you said. Uh, I I didn't see it as fatal, the initial move, Um, just in terms of – like smart, there was something going. First, they wanted to get rid of Brogdon, I think, over smart, and then they couldn't, right. right? Remember the medical thing with the whole with the Clippers, and then they zagged, uh, and smart goes to Memphis, which is another team I really want to talk about. We'll have to save them um, for a different pod. But when they then lost Grant Williams, who also clearly had some things going on in whether it was locker room or just the chemistry or the fit, but basketball wise, I liked Grant Williams. I like being able, from a Boston perspective, I like them being able to go to him. Um, in cases where whether it was Horford or Williams weren't available. And now uh, that uh, just seems a lot more tenuous uh, when it's Williams and Porzingis and Horford who are are either very susceptible to injury or old or like some combo. And without adding like a real kind of 
a per, some ballast on the perimeter. So that to me not took them down a peg, whereas before I thought it would have been different, but not necessarily a negative move. Um, so Williams, who also I, I kind of like his fit in Dallas for what they were looking for and needing. Um, so that that move, Darius, I, I didn't love in terms of what they had to offer. Yeah, I think Boston season is going to put to the test the idea of if you have two really strong to great wings, two-way wings, like what the ceiling and floor of your roster is. Um, because I really like Derek White. Me too. And he's sort of that connecting player, but they don't have a lot of those guys on their roster anymore. I thought Marcus Smart was one of those those types in his own way. I thought Grant Williams was one of those types of guys defensively, mm-hmm. way more than than offensively. Offensively, he was more of a sit in the corner and shoot threes. But, but those guys then, are he important. Was a, he was a 43% three-point shooter in the playoffs, right? Like yeah. on just two and a half attempts per game. But he was a guy that if you left him open in the playoffs, he was going to knock it down. Not everyone can do that and play defense. Yeah, so the shape of their roster is different and the – durability of their roster i think is different in not a positive way so they got worse from a durability standpoint they've essentially traded out smart for brogdon who is already there yeah but i'm saying like they have elevated brogdon i see by right. removing smart is what and i'm then saying pritchard enter, enters the rotation yes for them. and then yeah. pritchard enters as like their third guy but brogdon is the guy who's going to get elevated because smart was a starter now white White will probably start, right? But I'm just saying, everyone moves up a notch, but White had already taken that bigger role this past season. And so that only leaves Brogdon and Pritchard. And so Brogdon is not reliable health-wise, and Porzingis has not been historically, over the course of his career, reliable health-wise. And so we talked a lot about like Phoenix and like, I feel like Boston has done something very similar to Phoenix in that they have said, we're going all in with this certain type of roster type. And if it works, Mm -hmm. we're going to be awesome. Right. And if it doesn't work, well, we'll talk about that another time when it does like if it doesn't work. Right. Like they'll cross that bridge when they come to it. And I'm just not sure how it's all going to play out like historically mike it's very hard for a team to change its identity in these in these very specific ways and still be and be a better version that they were before right like unless you're actually changing your identity to something better Right. And so you go from like Michael Jordan playing solo ball with these pieces around him to being like, oh, now we're going to be more focused, egalitarian triangle offense. You still get to cook, but these other guys are going to be more involved. That's better for for the team. I'm not convinced that this transition to this version of Boston puts them on a better track. Even if I understand some of what they're doing, it's just like it's such a shift that I'm certainly not going to give Boston the benefit of the doubt that like the things that they did are just automatically going to work. I don't um, I'm not from New England. Sorry. Well, I don't, I'm not saying that they blew it last year, but that was the best opportunity, I think, given like where everybody in the league was, the health, you know. Like all of that, and they go, you know, Milwaukee losing in the first round, like with Giannis getting injured, and then having Miami in the conference finals, and they just like couldn't get it together. 
um, with what that roster was, and they just couldn't win. They couldn't find a way to do it, and it might not be that easy of a road. Not that it was easy, and again, respect to Miami, but I I think that Boston has to be uh, regretting uh, that they weren't able to find a way to get get over the hump the last couple of years because the, this next year is is definitely not guaranteed. And Dame Lillard may very well be in Miami, and all of a sudden, and then I think that team would just be better um, than them. So uh, all that remains to be seen, but you know. I, I, I'm not surprised that Pete want to get a little Boston talk in here. Yeah, sorry, I, I squashed the the rapid fire. I love how we we did the uh, we did a whole pod on like other teams' moves, and all of them were like, "This is why it's not going to work." So yeah, like all every single sure. one of them was like, eh, "At least me." I, 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 no, I, no, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I shouldn't, you know. I think I was more optimistic about the Warriors than both of you potentially with with Chris Paul being like a potential fit and <laughs> also being like a bridge to another player. We're not just negative names. Nancy's over here, Pete. We are hey. unbiased observers oh, unless yes. it comes to the Boston unbiased, Celtics, in yes. which case we will be as biased as we want to be yeah. about the Celtics. All I'm saying is Lakers in five. That's right. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.